time coordinator of the talks here at the Abbey. Thank you very much for staying. Tonight's talk threads the theme of the performance that you've just experienced, further exploring stories of people growing up in the deaf community in the hearing world. Children of deaf adults, CODAs, bridge two worlds, the hearing and the deaf world. We thought it would be interesting to invite a panel of CODAs to discuss their work and the world they make their work in, whether it's heavily influenced by the deaf community, visual culture, performance and performance art. So please welcome performance artist Amanda Coogan, broadcaster Declan Buckley, actor Shane O'Reilly, chaired by arts consultant Orla Maloney, and all signed by the safe pair of hands of CODA sign language interpreter Caroline O'Leary. Enjoy. My name is Orla Maloney and thank you for staying for the panel discussion. Um, I suppose first of all to say to Shane and to Jack and to everybody in Wilfred, thanks so much for a really fantastic performance, I really enjoyed it. And actually seen the show now four times in three different venues and every time I see it I see something new I see something I never saw before it's which is really I think a testament to the show and how much is in it so it's great um, I've been invited here this evening to chair the panel of CODA artists um, all of whom are probably more familiar even even to you you probably most of you here know them very well um, so over the next half hour or so, I hope to chat to everybody about your experience of growing up in deaf households and whether that has had an impact on your decisions to become artists and if so, whether it has shaped in any way your practice. So they're the kind of things I'm really interested in looking at as well as issues around the whole area of access. Um, just to fill you in, I'm working in the area of arts participation and I've worked in it for since the 1980s and I spent about six years, nearly six years in the Arts Council as head of arts participation and that's where I first met the team from Wilfred um, who came along with this fantastically innovative idea, I thought, around the idea of using light and sound and Irish sign language together. Uh, in, in a piece of work so that it would be accessible to everybody, whether it was people from the deaf community, people from the hearing community, everybody could access it directly. So to me that was really exciting because in my, in my work in the Arts Council, I was constantly looking at how the, the people who were involved in the arts, whether as artists or whether as audiences, how people, how a more diverse group of people could be involved in the arts and in making the arts because obviously that makes the arts far richer, far more interesting as well as addressing issues of access and equity. So it was a really exciting proposal. So um, I'm delighted now to be here with a panel of CODA artists to find out more about um, the impact on their practice. So, Maybe just to, um, you've already been introduced, so and I'll maybe let you say more about your own work yourselves rather than me trying to describe it. Uh, but maybe starting with Shane, first of all with you. In terms of your experience growing up, how much of it has impacted on the, on the work we saw tonight, first of all, 
um, both in terms of the stories, but also the ways in which the stories were told? Um, <clears throat> well, I think uh, anyone who saw It's Very Hard Not to Sign and Talk at the same time. If for anyone who saw the show, uh, you can see that some of the stories are uh, a part of my family and uh, my own kind of private world. It's not very private anymore, but my private world. So uh, that's a huge part of uh, my work with this company and with uh, this form. Um, so it started with using my own stories uh, and my own experience um, in order to uh, provide uh, an insight into how to make the style and how to make um, this hybrid between sign language, uh, physical performance and, and vocal work or voice. Um, and then also in making the show, um, and with the collaborators Jack and uh, Sophie and Sarah Jane, um, we did an awful lot of exploring as a group uh, into the deaf community and then we almost kind of used my family as a, a case study if you like, so we were always able to dip in and out of that. Uh, while also visiting uh, the deaf community at large and going to St. Joseph's or now the deaf uh, village. And so elements of that have influenced the way we work. So Sarah Jane's lights uh, will have uh, been informed in some way uh, in or by the, the situation or the role that light plays in the deaf community. So illuminating their language primarily, but then within a deaf household, doorbell lights, telephones. Um, and then the same with Jack. Um, Jack had an amazing experience actually, um, I hope he doesn't mind me telling his story, but uh, we were visiting St. Joseph's uh, before they demolished the school uh -huh. and Jack was having a chat with a couple of deaf people on the very, very top floor of the old school and by accident somebody stood on I think a fluorescent light or some sort of a light and it let off this big bang, but Jack was the only one in the room who heard it. And Jack thought this was incredible, you know, the, the difference, the, the immediacy of the difference in reaction. And Jack got this huge fright, and everybody else continued talking. Um, so that, those kind of experiences that I guess have begun uh, with the doorway through my own past and my own family have informed the work and the collaboration within this project. And do you think that those experiences in some way impacted on your own decision to become a theatre artist? Um, yeah, I think that I would argue that every artist has a, like a, a, a reason that is within them to become an artist, aside from most things. I think it's kind of burning in you to do it. But certainly, growing up in such a performative, uh, uh, with such a performative language, um, and, and such a performative community as well. The community is very much about getting people's attention and telling jokes and telling stories. And, you know, it's very vibrant and very active. So. Certainly that would have informed my, my language as an artist and my language as a, as a physical player and, and an actor. Okay. Well, maybe just for you, Amanda, then, moving on. I was actually looking at some of the material about your work and I, I came across a really interesting sentence which described your expertise lies in your ability to condense an idea to its very essence and communicate it through your body. And I just thought, oh, that, that seems like such an interesting way of describing your practice, considering the very physical nature of sign language and growing up with that. And I wondered, just from your point of view, does that idea of getting to the very heart of the matter and expressing it physically, does that resonate with 
your experience as well, a well, so Someone very, very nice to me wrote that lovely text about my work, but um, yeah, I, I, I suppose uh, uh, my, I'm a, a performance artist and performance from the visual arts. So slightly wonky situation of be, not being a theatre practitioner, um, but uh, using the structures of theatre every now and again. Uh, but no, I, I come from a very um, uh, solo performance art, performance as sculpture, the body as sculpture. Mm -hmm. And so oh, it's non-narrative, most of my work is non-narrative in the spoken English sense of the word. But I use uh, movement gesture, uh, uh, the communication of the body uh, all the time, uh, all the time. I make normally or often make very long performances, um, three hours, six hours, 24 hours. And so uh, often I'll, pick, I'll use a gesture or um, a, a movement that's usually very lazy from my behalf, and you'll agree with me. It's like, oh, what's the sign for? Rejoice, and I use that. <laughs> you know, I might take seven hours to make that sign over and over again, so it's just it engages it and stretches it. But um, uh, I totally blame my deaf upbringing and heritage for being <coughs> being the artist that I've become, that I've fallen into almost because I started. Um, by studying painting, very traditional uh, painting, and then I moved into sculpture, and I just took a long route yes. into kind of finding uh, what a, 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 a kind of a, a expression within the visual arts through the body. I didn't know it was called performance art at that time. I just went, that's it. That's the truth, that's more truthful um, than uh, than what you know, what I've been exploring in the traditional um, uh, media of, of visual arts, and then through that I've, I've gone further and further and further, and kind of much more acknowledged um, the deaf side of me. I'd say as coders, I don't know if you agree, guys, that we're uh, like we're split. <laughs> we have we're hearing, and we're deaf, but we're neither. We're somewhere in the liminal space between. Yes. Yeah being a hearing person in the hearing world uh, with all of the niceties and proprieties that you have to have in the hearing world, you know, and then we're deaf and we can tell it, you know, we say everything, we kind of blurt everything out and everything is kind of more um, uh, uh, passionate, uh -huh. possibly, or a lot of pathos and bathos in the way you express yourself in sign language. and. Uh, so we're very adapt. Sometimes I'm not so adapt at code switching, really? behaving myself properly <laughs> in the hearing world. Really? Not saying that, you know, as verbosely as one should, you know, or in, in, in the deaf world as well, being too hearing, which would be a little too reserved. Really? Um, uh, but I just did a massive project, and I know a lot of the performers here um, uh, are here tonight. I just did a, a project in in the Project Art Centre, which was very much about deaf heritage, I was and which was uh, very uh, gratefully uh, funded by arts and participation. Actually, um, and uh, we had a good uh, shake up of, of deaf history, um, but also using sign language very. Um, 
enthusiastically used, using sign language as the, the first language of the play um, uh, and not translating it. Yes, yeah. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about that because I suppose that was a piece of collaborative work. Would you describe it as that, oh, that you did? Absolutely. Yes. Um, absolutely. And which is quite quite different to your your perhaps your more usual My solo, solo practice. Yeah. practice. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was interested, would that have impacted on your solo practice, that working with the deaf community in a collaborative way, mm -hmm. as opposed to as an audience. Yeah. Um, would that, do you think, or well, perhaps it's too soon to say now. I, I, I might say that we're just, we're, we're literally closing the books on it now. I'm, you know, uh, so uh, I can't, uh, I can't tell you how it's, yes. where, where it's going to go, yes. but it has, it has been such a rich, rich experience. Now, prior to that, I would have a, a lot of the, of the Dublin Deaf Theatre, uh, Theatre of the Deaf, would have worked with me yes. as artist assistants, as performers uh, 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 within my solo practice. And certainly, we've uh, we were having a discussion uh, specifically myself and Leanne Quigley, who's the most amazing uh, woman. We're talking about this for two or three years, is it? Talking about doing a collaborative project. And I knew it had to be something. I had to sit on the egg for a little bit. Right. Um, because it had to be something where we could really meet. Yes. Yes. Not that I uh, was going to come and say, as a kind of a director, that wouldn't work. Well, it's interesting you should say that you had already done a lot of work with different individuals. And um, formed the core of yeah. Dublin Theatre of the Day. The, uh, there was four or five or six of them who had already worked for me as a, as a, as a, within my practice. Because it did strike me that perhaps performance art, it's not as familiar to the general public as other art forms as theatre or you know, music, cabaret. Um, but, uh, so I would have thought perhaps, yes, that might provide some, or might have thrown up some challenges in terms of the type of work that was being produced with the group in terms of it wasn't, say, a traditional theatre piece. It was more of a performance piece. No, do you want to answer that, guys? I, I think it was a wonderful meeting mm. of, um, of practices. Actually, really very... Uh, I think there was a few niggly kind of structural things, uh -huh. maybe, where I asked them to come uh, with a story, their own story, from themselves or something they wanted. And then I just... Uh, said and now repeat it. Yes. Make um, it slower, make it bigger, make it, you know, yeah. less you're chatting in the death club, more, you know, more presented, I suppose. Um, and we might come back to that a little bit in terms of later talking about access and audiences and, and those kind of issues. Uh, Declan, though, just to move on to you, um, that, that discussion, that talk about inhabiting a space between two worlds, two different cultures, is I presume that's resonating with you in terms yeah. of... <clears throat> yeah, I suppose that personally I feel like I, I, I participate in not just the, the gap between the deaf and the hearing world. I, as a gay man, I live between the straight world and the gay world. And so there's so many overlaps of places. And I, I, I didn't think that was unusual. I, I think everybody feels that they're kind of part in some place and not in another. And, Everybody's trying to find their own space. 
I was thinking a lot since I saw um, Shane's play last um, Friday about the experience of being a, 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 the child of deaf parents and whether or not that actually affected me performatively as opposed to just how it, how it moulded me as a human being. I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, I think there's, there's two ways of looking at it. There's the gifts that your parents as individuals give you and their interests um, and their, their abilities can give you opportunities as well as education about doing various things. Then there's the culture that they come as part of. They're part of a bigger community with all of the richness that that has and so many different kinds of experiences that you may not be exposed to if you had the life of the child next door. And that's the one thing that I'm so honoured and privileged to have had that experience. My, my deaf parents bringing me into different worlds all of the time because the deaf community is comprised of people from all walks of life and yet they come together in kind of the way that the gay community does as well. They come together and they hang out and they share their lives in all of its ways, good, bad, gossipy, helpful, religious, everything. Um, you know, and as a child you're kind of, you're, you're exposed to that and, and it's quite an amazing um, experience to have, have normally. Um, in terms of the, my dad was a mime actor, so you know he was involved with the, the theatre. Super that, famous actor, his dad. Yeah. <laughs> he, he gave it up. He gave it up. He gave it up to give me my chance. <laughs> um, but you know, so my dad was involved in, in, in you know in theatre for the deaf as, as well as with you know various mime groups and did a lot of work like that. So I wondered whether the answer for me was I, I saw my dad doing that kind of thing. But then the honest truth is that I didn't then decide as a child that I wanted to work in performance. I'm a talker by nature so it's not a strange thing that I ended up doing something related to talking or showing off. Um, but, uh, you know, I could have stayed in marketing that's kind of the same thing. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting you should raise that about yeah we all have so many different identities and kind of we foreground different ones and different And even deaf people do as well and that's the thing it's, you know, it's very easy to say oh deaf person and then oh you're a complex hearing individual from, you know, with Hispanic parents and you come from Cantamonham, but you're just a deaf person and that's yes. not the truth. That, yes. you know, the deaf community has different people with different kinds of education, different experiences, different dreams and different families. I mean, one of the things that strikes me coming to this play four times is I notice the difference in the audience. I mean, I go to a lot of theatre, I go to a lot of arts events and I notice there, there are a lot of people signing when I come to see Follow, which is great. And, and I think, how come I don't actually see so much uh, people signing at other arts events, at other theatre <coughs> events? And I'm just wondering, issues of access relating to a whole load of different identities. I mean, are, are these issues that come up in other identities that you have, other than CODA, you know, as, as a woman, as a gay man? Are they issues that you see anyway? Well, of course, yeah. I mean, of course they are. I mean, it's, it's, it, I'm not involved with discussing the arts from an academic point of view, but um, I, I am aware that accessibility for minorities is an issue. And you, you try to make work that people want to see, otherwise it's just not going to happen. It, can, it can't be funded. It doesn't work. But you can try then to make stuff on a piecemeal basis that you know works for the minorities. But that's what's brilliant about what Chain did, is that Chain made something that is in a very brilliant way took stuff that hearing people just take for granted and took stuff that deaf people take for granted and matched them together and in a way that you can kind of go, okay, I understand parts of bits that I didn't get and the deaf community can kind of get the lights and the vibrations or whatever, but 
you know, they're still they're still not getting all of what the hearing audience are yes. getting, and that's yeah. you know, the, and, and that would if, you, if this was Shakespeare, you know, you still need an interpreter, you still need somebody like Caroline doing that, or you know, but it's still you know, this is amazing, but it's maybe it's not always enough. Yes, because it's always going to be the, the the audio barrier. You know, this is a rock concert. The deaf people would have left. Yes, yes, yeah. I mean, in terms then of access, would, is are there big issues to be addressed? I mean, presumably there are, and who needs to be addressing them? Just for any, for any. <coughs> I think something that's interesting to talk about just very quickly is about two weeks ago, uh, Brian uh, from the IDS uh, came to meet with Fig. Uh, here uh, with myself and the company and he was talking about something that I thought was um, very clear and very interesting and it was this idea of direct entertainment and so um, the deaf community uh, whenever they can attend a performance when the work is created and for them and with them in mind and that the work the narrative of the work has them in mind doesn't necessarily have to be about the deaf community, but that their access to it is where the director or the artist has, has placed the focus. That's what they would call direct entertainment. And then, and the other form is indirect entertainment, where the, the experience or the artistic uh, product is created. And then as an afterthought or as something that came after the event, it is then interpreted, which is also to be commended, and it's amazing, and Amanda is, a fine example, like Caroline, these you know amazing um, interpreters who bring bring access to these pieces of work like Shakespeare and Pinter and and O'Casey. But the the indirect element of it means that immediately the experience is different, and their access to the art is different, and their access to the director and the actor's work is different, and is 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 through something else. And I think that the very interesting question that Fiak asked Brian was. You know what can we do? And Brian said, "Well, if we were to take consideration of audiences out, and if we were to take uh, consideration for money and all of that kind of thing out, he was saying make shows where actors sign to each other, and or make a show where I can look at the stage, or I can look at the people and watch the work happen in my language mm -hmm. with my my yes. culture at the front." And I thought that was very very interesting. And for that to happen, and I'm going to throw this out to, to the audience now in a, in a moment, but for that to happen, um, presumably there is a sense it's either going to be people who are deaf or people who are codas who are going to be making this work because, yes, how else will it get made? So do we need to take a step back and look at, well, what are the opportunities to become a, an artist and who's, whose work is getting made, who are the artists, and how do we encourage more um, engagement of people in the making of work as well? Is that an issue? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, I think uh, just having worked with the Dumb Theatre of the Deaf, it's so rich <coughs> with artists. They're all, you know, out of community, not everyone wants to be an artist, of no. course. You know, but in the deaf community, we have artists. There is artists there. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, they're ready. They're there. We created a piece a couple of months ago together. Um, it was very interesting, uh, uh, I think, learning for us all. Uh, 
the switch to professional theatre yeah. and the step from uh, uh, a community theatre uh, in uh, to professional uh, theatre and just the structures, yeah. health and safety, all those things. But that's that's the assistance that's needed, and what not the creativity. What, what the creativity that, is yes. there. The artists are there. So what does that look like? What's the what's the step? What is that mechanism, that support, to actually make that move and enable people to make and put on their work? Um, I don't <laughs> <laughs> Yes, have you got the answer? <laughs> I, well, I'm saying, I don't know, but you know a good template. Yeah. Uh, is certainly um, uh, deaf people working uh, mm. in, in in the arts as professionals, yeah, and being uh, being facilitated to work in the arts as professionals. And there's a direct and link like, between what what Shane was just talking about about deaf, the deaf community having um, art productions <laughs> that they feel connected with, that the direct participation that Shane was talking about which then um, engenders knowledge, which then d creates the desire to make their own, which then creates the ideas that the, that the deaf community can go, we want to make this, how can we do this? Because, yes. I mean, that's the and process. I, uh, absolutely, and it's a chicken or egg. I mean, I have to put, yeah. put up my hands and say, I work as a sign language interpreter, theatre sign language interpreter along with Caroline, and we have our colleague here, Vanessa. Mm -hmm. And we're very committed to that because, um, you, you can't look at Romeo and Juliet and go, I'll have a read over that now and I'll hop on the national stage yeah, sure. and, and say it as if I would say it in a classroom or, you know, something. So we very much invest in that. I consider it a performance, I consider it another part of my practice, really, very uh, focused, obviously. But, but uh, I'm sure the girls will agree, but constantly you're looking in a script for um, the deaf interest, so I, th I think the last, the last, the last one that I did, but um, the one that I knew I could connect with the deaf community in my translation of it was um, the Risen People. Oh yes. Okay, oppression, standing up for your rights, protests. Hello, you know, uh, the deaf community is an oppressed mm -hmm. minority. Yeah. That's just singing, that's screaming yes. on the page, and so what you do with your translation is you flavor it in that way uh, you know and so and that brings and always when I, I, I know uh, uh, when I'm making a translation of uh, a play and I know it's going to speak to the deaf community I'll certainly tell key people who I've promised to tell yes and then the work gets out and there's bigger numbers in the theatre uh, bigger uh, deaf community or sign language users uh, in the theatre that night for the access so it's like chicken or egg yes Access to more professional work uh, makes uh, more aspirations to make those kinds of works, to join in the fray of um, uh, broke artists. I don't know why. And we have to remember as well that there's an aspect of the hearing community just getting a grip and realizing that we also have to make space because sometimes. You know, we can be a little bit ignorant about that little bra olive branch that we need. You know, just, you know, it's easy for us because we grow, grow up with that. But it's that kind of space. Uh, but but yeah. Declan, uh, 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 is it okay to ask? Because I was working with some of your. Um, Are you going to tell me the time you upstaged me? <laughs> <laughs> Let me talk about that. No, I'm kidding. Uh, 
No, but uh, Declan has brought on some uh, drag acts as well. Yeah, and you've yeah. been uh, like drag, drag performers. Which is this you've whole... been a super mentor to them, and which is a really interesting. Because it kicks into, and it's exactly what I was going to talk about. There was that whole thing about when, when you give the deaf artists the opportunity to do their own thing. It is it, okay. Yes, a little bit of mentoring and help is is needed in the initial stages, but once. You know, they're doing their own thing. They create their own work yeah. and they create their own way of being and doing. And that's accepted readily by people, you know, whether they're into it or not is, as with everything, is the, is the audience's own prerogative. But it's there and it's an equivalent performance and there it is in the past. I'm proud of that. I think it's amazing because yeah. it's something that, you know, everybody should be exposed to. I mean, that's what's brilliant again about Shane's play is that people coming along and seeing stuff that they, Oh, I didn't know about that. I never thought about that. I never considered that. And it's it's raising questions, and whether they're straight as part of the performance, or whether it's a kind of a you know extra question that gets raised by you know by you thinking more. That's yes. great. It's brilliant. I'm aware that I haven't got out to the <laughs> audience yet, so I better actually I can't see when I put on my glasses at all. Um, but I want to just see if there are some burning questions out there that anybody here would like to ask members of the panel. Uh, yes, you were asking about what's, uh, what's next anyway. Um, a lot of what I saw and heard tonight wasn't about being deaf or not deaf, it was about being human. That uh, whether I interpreted it correctly or um, that that part of the story where it felt like a child, an individual in the womb, swimming, is being human, it's a human being. So, if tonight's play is called Follow, then hopefully there will be Follow Up and Follow Three. <laughs> because it's, what we're looking at is not, not about uh, being deaf or hearing, it's about being a human being, uh, and that's a story in the sense that can very easily be developed and developed and developed. Yes, I'd like to just uh, pick up on that a little bit as well and to tail end uh, a little bit of what you guys were chatting about, which is it, it, this exact question, what's next or what, what else can happen uh, with direct access to entertainment? And, um, and what the guys are talking about with this empowerment of artists within the deaf community to, to present on a professional level is, is one facet. But like you've just identified, the other side of it is existing artists like Sophie and, and Jack and Sarah Jane who exist in the theatre world and who make their own work uh, as well as working with Wilfred, taking an interest and investing in a language as a piece of artistic material. So. Uh, they, they, they attacked this idea of sign language and deafness as, as, as a, a, a palette and said, okay, well, we've got these amazing things, like this, this language that we can pull apart and this captioning unit that we can do whatever we want with. Um, I, and they got their teeth sunk into that as, as a language. And, I, and I've seen Amanda do work with Kushkane in a show called Dodgems, where again, this, the whole world was turned on its head and sign language became the language for a moment. And that's an artistic decision being made 
because the language is an amazing piece of material to use. And I think that that's also there for us as, as artists making work in a professional arena anyway, uh, in order to tell exactly like you're identifying human stories. And we could sign a story about loads of hearing people, and we could all be hearing in the play, but just use sign language as our language, um, and still tell that story, that the language isn't linked to the communi community in terms of its ability to tell. It's just their language, but we can use it to do other things. And I think that that's exciting. Oh, totally. But I'd also say, sorry, that it's our language, as CODAS, yes. as well, actually. And we have this funky place where we're bilingual. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, do you find that a very creative space? We were talking about that space. Is it a creative space? Um, but you've also talked about responsibility. Is, 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 it, is it experienced both ways uh, at times? Yeah, I think I think I was thinking about this because I knew I knew you were going to talk about it. Um, <laughs> the, the being a child of deaf parents, I'm, I'm talking particularly when you're very young and you're you're coming to terms with your own environment and you're developing your own language skills and you're, you're bilingual. You've got sign on one side and you're 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 talking in English on the other, and you're developing your own individual being. Your language is, is growing in every aspect. Maybe not as your signing is not as good as your parents, your English isn't as good as your teachers, or whatever it is, but you're, you're developing. Um, this, this creates, as it is for every child with their own language development, you've got it on the double, or maybe on the triple, if you've got more languages in your house, you're, you're developing all the times really creative ways to communicate. You're trying to explain to dad why you really need that ice cream with the limited sign language, because you're yeah. four. So, you, you know, you're problem solving from a very young age. Um, and then you're also trying to explain to the man, um, to your dad, that the man at the door is trying to sell some kind of insurance and it yields, you know, 37%. There. <laughs> and, you know, you're trying to explain that we don't know how to do percentages. So, <laughs> you know, so you're creative from a very young age and sometimes you just lie. So, uh, <laughs> that's why you're actors. Yes. I And I'd like to echo what that last person was saying, which was, yes, lots more, I hope, we'll see of this kind of direct, integrated work which can reach everybody in a very direct way. So thank you very much. Thank you.